Hello, and welcome to episode 407 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 18th of October, 2022. My name is Chris Thurston, and joining me this evening is Marsh Davis. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello, Marsh. Marsh, I think uh, I noticed something. So it's been a little while since I've been on the podcast. Uh, and obviously, apologies that we missed last week due to associated aches and aches and pains and ailments and agonies. Um, I've noticed something. It feels like we've had a little bit of a kind of uh, a, a, a sticky phase in the names of the podcasts. Oh, really? Because the last time I was on the podcast, the title was Too Tight or Robberous, which is a, like slightly sphincterish, but, you know, not 100% committed. And then next was Sticky Goop the safest fireball and then a morning constitutional on fart planet and then slightly less specifically nutsy bolts armageddon machine now to me this whole thing and maybe i am leading the witness here but it walks (laughs) in a kind of biomechanical farty squelchy uh flatulent direction um which i think is going to be strikingly relevant to our episode today. The reason I say all of this is to establish at the top of the dial that this isn't going to get better anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would like to ask you before, because I feel like I, I very strongly suspect that today we're exclusively going to be able to be talking about games where everyone smells awful. And so I, I wanted to ask you, would you say you've ever been to Paradise Marsh? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought we were, I thought you were going to segue into a completely different game. So I, I know I pulled uh, I pulled a fast one on. I was thinking one on I was like trying to come up with puns for you know foreskins and flaps and all kinds of gribbly things, uh, and you've f- forced me to take my segue and, and dump it in a, a delightful bogland instead. Mm. Tell me about the delightful bogland. Paradise Marsh. It's a, that's the name of the game, Paradise Marsh. Almost as though it was made for me. Although mm. I suspect it was probably made for Pip because it's a game about collecting bugs, uh, and she <laughs> likes to do that. Um, it's it's just a, a it's a very jolly little thing, you know. Um, it's about wandering this wetland, finding insects and other wildlife, and uh, doing so in order to restore the constellations to the night sky. Uh, which have just plunged out of the sky for no apparent reason. Uh, and you walk around this this lovely wetland, which is, I think, possibly infinite and generated as you walk. Um, mm. It's like trees literally sort of pop out of the ground as you move um, uh, towards the horizon line. And when you, when you sort of uh, do that, you kind of listen out for frogs and toads and fun beetles, and then you sneak up on them and you net them. Uh, and each creature represents a star from one of those missing constellations. And when you've got enough... You, you go to these obelisks, which shoots the stars back into the sky, and then you have a lovely chat with the constellations, um, each of whom has their own personalities, uh, which which are quite uh, nicely written. The, the, the cricket is this conspiracy theorist boomer. Uh, the, the snail is a sort of miserable nihilist. Um, the, the dragonfly is Brian Blessed, as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, and the spider is French. And um, once you've done with uh, <laughs> their patter, you can sort of link up the stars by redrawing the constellations, um, a bit like linking up the stars, and then they chatter some more. And there's, there's sort of like there's sort of like a bit of a challenge to it, um, in that some creatures require some basic tactics to snag, like you need to stand still for the spider to return to its position before you can get it. Um, and some of them might require you to eat like certain found items in the environment to gain a temporary ability. Uh, there, there are some mushrooms which um, just make you trip. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, some, as per the song, make you taller, uh, which mm. is useful uh, to get things which require you to be tall. Um, and there are also messages and bottles that you can find, which uh, kind of, I guess, tell some sort of story. Um, and there's birds which recite poetry to you, some of which is actually quite good. Um, uh, 
it's a surprising game. It's really not set out to tax you in any way. It doesn't even particularly matter which direction you go in, because as far as I can tell, the way that the procedural generation works, the game is just like always putting the stuff you need uh, in front of you to stumble upon. Um, but I just found it really delightful. It was a very pleasurable thing um, to, to tool around in. Um, in a week when those agues and aches, as you referred to earlier, were were upon my mind, it was a it was a soothing balm, Chris, made out of mm. bog water. Um, so it seems like the perfect balm for you. Indeed. <laughs> did you did you complete it? Um, no, I haven't yet because I got distracted uh, by uh, a game we've both played instead, which is um, the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of that game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, although I suspect both the bog and it may may have a certain kind of um, odorous quality, uh, we've both been playing Scorn, mm. which is um, a, a horrible game inspired <laughs> by uh, the paintings of H.R. Geiger. Very much so. Yeah, um, I don't know. Would it be right if I explained what it was like to go in knowing nothing about this game? Oh yeah. I don't know if you had, did you have? Did you know anything about it before you played it? Um. I knew I knew that it tentatively occupied a particular genre, but actually, I think that's not true. <laughs> so, right. Um, so but go I on, think, tell me what you knew of it. I think we will. I think we'll probably say the same thing then. I I knew all I knew was it kind of looked pretty gnarly, and listener, it is. Um, and um, but I um fully expected. I actually put off playing it a little bit because I had so much to do, and I was quite. I had a bit of a kind of stressful run of days in the last week into the weekend. And so I was like, this isn't the time for grotesque horror, basically. Um, I had to be in the right mood for it. Because incorrectly, I assumed this was going to be a first-person horror game. Maybe not totally incorrectly, but like um, I was trying to figure out exactly what I mean when I talk about like... um, you know, first-person immersive horror in the manner of, like, amnesia or soma or something like that. Um, but what I realized I really mean, and it is sort of this, is a game where bad things happen to your hands. Because um, that's a genre, right? Yeah. Um, it's first-person horror games where your character, you, you principally interact with the world through your characters, slightly, you know, you know grippy, grabby, slappy, meat hands as they get stung by bees or get a pen goes through their hand or or like because games can't really feed back to you that the thing that you're touching is horrid with any other way other than bad things happening to your hands i think obviously the absolute apex of this genre is the best thing in resident evil 7 that happens (laughs) um in the bad hands genre maybe bad hands is the best way to, to to describe this genre there is a there's a common twist that is used quite frequently in the bad hands genre. I would also uh, I would also specify that Bioshock, the first one, I think is an, an mm-hmm. early pioneer of this um, because that's very much a game about bad things happening to your hands. It's just because it's also the other fifty percent of it is a shooter. That was you know because it was it was two thousand and seven or two thousand eight or whatever it was, and, and you know we were young and naive then we assumed everything had to be a gun so in that game every bad thing that happens to your hands turns your hands into a different kind of gun but the kind of the linking the connective tissue here is that the other thing that happens in a bad game in a bad hands game is uh is the chest burster from alien because that's the other thing they can do where your character looks down suddenly and something's sticking out of their chest because that's mm. the only other violence first-person games can really do. Um, so Bioshock had one of them famously in its trailer. Um, oh yeah, uh, that, that hasn't you know that hasn't been the case yet. But basically, I think I've I think I've figured it out that yeah, there's a whole span of first-person horror games um, where two things can happen: um, something goes through your hand or breaks your fingers, or Someone like I don't know puts a machete in you from behind, and you look back, and your character's vision goes really blur- blurry, and then two minutes later you're fine. Um, <laughs> Have you finished Scorn? No, um, I see. Okay, no, I'm, and so I want to caveat by saying that I'm very, very early in Scorn because I haven't had a ton of time to play it. But I was really surprised to discover, thinking it was going to be that, an early doors, thinking it pretty much is this because some, you know, it's pretty gnarly, and then dis- discovering, to my absolute surprise, that it's fucking missed. <laughs> yeah i mean well or is it chris 
well, so far it's missed. I understand it's going to change. I only understand that because because of like a slight UI bug. I wasn't sure if I didn't understand the controls and I opened the menu and the controls, as far as I can tell, describe a completely different game to the one that I'm playing. Because I opened the menu and it was like, you know, equip on the slung grenade launcher, use fireball or whatever the fuck you're saying. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Yeah. Oh, interestingly, it doesn't necessarily tell you what those buttons are well after those mechanics have been introduced. Uh, mm. I found. So uh, I only discovered that some mechanics existed because I had looked at the control scheme. Um, and I was like, oh, what? Then I, then I pressed R or whatever. I was like, oh. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It is. I mean, I'd, I'd actually heard this the other way around where um, I'd heard tentatively somebody describe it as a first person puzzle game. Um, but I think it's actually not, or it is it's sort of very begrudgingly a puzzle game. In the same way that it's also begrudgingly later a combat game. And I think it's it's sort of it doesn't really want to be either of those things because it wants to lean more towards this experiential thing rather than like an expressly ludic challenge, which would, mm. you know, pull you away from what it's trying to do, which is to draw you through these vast, beautiful and horrible environments inspired by H.R. Geiger. Um and like for for better and worse, I think it is it sort of um, straddles that genre line. Sure, I should probably say who Geiger is. I mean, I'd be surprised if people weren't familiar with his oeuvre. Um, uh, well, indeed, his oeuvre. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> um, I mean, he designed the Alien, famously from Alien, um, but he had a, a long career before that in which he. Uh, was fascinated by many of the things that the alien typifies, which is sort of this meeting of organic and industrial, um, uh, the body, uh, obsession with sex, both as a really mucky and horrific biological process and also as an erotic impulse. And so his his art is filled with these sort of <clears throat> imagined landscapes of swelling organic machinery and ribbed glistening structures that are somewhat redolent of penises integrated with creatures that are you know in seeming various states of copulation or, or consumption or evolution um and scorn is like uh, very faithfully set within those landscapes uh, in a way which is uh very um i i, I think Geiger would have approved yeah. you know um and you play this <clears throat> unknown protagonist um who at the start of the game peels himself not not i mean not totally human by the looks of him uh, who peels himself from uh, this sort of ichor that has encased him and he sets about an unknown purpose um which you can only partially hope to understand as you sort of um you further his aims in the world and i i think you are sort of a creature of this world and so there is this interesting and sometimes very frustrating disconnect between what you know as a player and what your character presumably intuits of the environment and what his intentions are within it. Um, but for the most part, the only thing that is clear to the player from their perspective is that to reach new environments, one must go on and going on sometimes like involves an egg man and then with a giant ice cream scoop and then sticking into a glistening to open a door. Um, huh. I solved that differently. Did you? Well, I see. Because at that environment, there are two mechanisms that you can interact with, but you don't get a choice to go back <laughs> once you've right. yeah. made a choice. Sorry, put a pin in that. Put a pin mm. in that. And, yeah. But, uh, but in, in, sorry, like, I really admire uh, a lot of things about this game. Um, I like the, the evocation of Geiger's of his art and, and themes i i think that's pretty unimpeachable actually i think it's probably one of the the kind of the the best and, and uh most affectionate um evocations of an artist's uh idiom in a game and i i think it would have been easy enough easy enough to create a game which was sort of like a greatest hits of his gribbly penile statues and drippy woo-woo cities but i feel like <laughs> It really engages with the meaning of that <laughs> in a yeah. way which it probably didn't need to. And I, I think in a lot of the interactions that you go through and the way that the landscape is alive and what is revealed to be your ultimate intention within that place is explicitly about 
a lot of the things that Geiger was preoccupied with, like creation and procreation in all of its horror, that's sort of like an escalation towards celestial horror territory that sort of implants ideas of transcendence within this sort of terrible and brutal cycle of exploitative body horror. Uh, I think that is all really clever stuff, and uh, I, I think that's fantastic, and that's the reason to play the game. I would say, however, it doesn't very jibe very well often with the missed stuff, like mm. the grosser mechanical stuff from which the base interactions of the game are wrought. Um, and I've alluded to the puzzles previously, and the, the, there's obviously this tension between wanting to present the game, which is true to the larger themes and aesthetic vision of Geiger, and then there's something which, you know probably focus groups have decided needs to have explicit puzzle mechanics um and it sort of splits the difference in a way uh which makes some of those puzzles quite bad from a puzzle design perspective i how did you find them i so i'm i am very early in the game uh but like the the shock for me was sort of like exploring because the, the environments really are extraordinary i think it looks amazing and i think it's a commitment to not having a ui while it i'll say this the commitment to not having a ui is um when it when it when the stars align and you can just intuit what the mechanic is going to be i think it works remarkably well um when you are slightly frustrated it's annoying and then the middle ground between those things is when things go from feeling very analog and organic which is very appropriate to the subject matter to suddenly you're doing a fucking slidey tile puzzle Mm. but you're doing it in dr hr geiger's house of sphincters like that's <laughs> like and every time you well, move a tile, the title for the episode <laughs> <laughs> I mean. um like and and every time you move a tile it goes <laughs> like that's you know what i mean as your character slides his fingers in and out of a, a big glove there's so many there are so many worse words i could have used in that <laughs> you should see my fucking notes i mean i've really enjoyed writing words that this game has made me think but i cannot <laughs> say them but the puzzliness of those puzzles is quite jarring however i didn't that was an interesting transition like I, I don't know uh the puzzle i'm thinking about is really the first puzzle in the game and i don't know where to put a spoiler barrier on this really um it's interesting that it can be solved a few different ways because what i was going to say is it's a really interesting transition from scoping out what you feel like the puzzle is going to be, which is this process of exploring a big environment, seeing what you can interact with and intuiting the intent of the designer, which is like a two part thing. One part is how does this puzzle game fit together? And in my case was also discovering that it was a puzzle game. And then, um, and the other is, well, this mechanic is encouraging me to take in this, this place. And this place is genuinely kind of pretty extraordinary and, gross and interesting and then realizing pretty much what it was i i had a really satisfying experience of that puzzle in a weird way where i realized what it was that i would need to do when i realized what was blocking me from leaving that area because as you say your onward progress is your only goal really and then i intuited what i would need to find before i had any idea where to find it or that it was even in the level and so i went and found it <laughs> little egg <laughs> little egg and um and then i did an extremely strangely sort of didactic and digital feeling slidey puzzle yeah and then i entered a completely different domain of very like honestly the sequence after that which i don't want to spoil really but like in terms of how it's animated and the sound design and and the way the, the the physical design of the props used encourages you to have a sort of empathetic relationship with the first other moving creature you've met in the environment. It's mm. fucking grotesque. It's genuinely one of the gnarliest things I think I've seen in a game. Like, I I am actually like not amazing. Like, I love horror, but I'm not amazing with jump scares, and so a lot of horror games don't work for me a huge amount. I think I probably said this in the podcast before over the years. I must have done because for me. In, and this is true of horror movies as well. Jump scares tell, tr tend to take me out of an experience rather than keep me in it mm. um, because they make me acutely aware of myself as a either a viewer or a player rather than the character and their experience. Um, it's like, um, it's very, occasionally jump scares can work for me, but like 
uh, often I find it's a bit like one of those really dodgy, like mostly now defunct cinema 4D experiences where, like, I don't know, someone mists you with a little spray of water <laughs> while you're watching Jaws or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, I just don't find it immersive because you've you've like, you've just spooked me, right? And I've just gone, huh! And that's not that hard to do, right? Like, that happens if, like, the doorbell rings. <laughs> so that's, you know what I mean? Like, and it is that kind of response. It feels like an intrusion out of the the media into my life in a way that doesn't actually like help me enjoy it. Um, but I love the atmosphere of horror and that sequence in the, at the beginning of scorn, I thought was just fucking brilliant. And now as to what you just said, realizing that it can, one thing that I realized is I solved it in a way that was gross and very weird and encouraged and for, crucially forced me to intuit game systems that I assumed had to exist for me to be able to solve the puzzle. Um, rather than wait for a button prompt, which feels great. Um, yeah, I think... So that's definitely the best puzzle in the game, which is a bit of a disappointment. Oh, shit. Oh, well. <laughs> but, but, like, as you say, like, there is... There's the... You kind of proceed logically uh, as a player using your understanding what is interactable and, you know, a mechanic in kind of the the, the gross terms of what is what the game is in an interactive way. But then the solution for that, which you're led to through your actions as a player, is then characterized within the world in a way which is far more horrible and macabre than you could have ever realized. Yeah. But which your character presumably would anticipate. And so at that point, I was like, oh, I'm not a good person. <laughs> like, I'm I'm one of these horrible things that is horrible because of the environment it's in, you know, and uh, I'm mm. such a part of this world that um, I am inured to the terrible cycles of brutality and exploitation that are occurring there. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, the weird thing is, I chose mm. the... Because the, the, I saw that there were two things that I could... Uh, two directions I could go with that. And I chose the one that I thought would be nicer. Mm -hmm. It did not turn out to be nice. So we'll have to have a chat afterwards about yeah, um, how, to, how your choices uh, played out. But... I think they've, I think they do something quite clever there. I think the, the horrible one looks like it's going to be the gentle one and that's quite effective and, mm. and vice versa. And I think that's quite effective horror storytelling it's also fucking grim both ways but um and i appreciate it's probably annoying us being that vague about it but it's worth avoiding spoiling it i think um like that i just thought the sequence was great i did have a slightly different read on it um which is so i think one of its kind of lovely little motifs particularly is is i think it it does use so an element of Geiger's work that is very useful to it, I think, as a game is the industrial side of things, right? Like mm. that, you know, yeah. that, that that sort of discovery that you feel like you're in some sort of, you know, Freudian cock monolith, but what you're actually inside is a factory. And, um, and your task in that moment is is to determine how to use that factory to make the thing that factory makes. Like you're reverse engineering someone's Infinifactory build or something yeah. like that. Just determining the right series of levers and buttons and, and operations to determine things. And they obviously, as, as we've suggested, derive some horror from surprising you with the consequences of some of those actions. But really, the horror comes from the fact that the, the nature of what you're doing, the organic nature of the environment, that you're working with and the organic nature of the pieces every every aspect of it is organic tries to draw empathy from you and the puzzle solving side of it plus the industrial side of it just draws process from you mm. and those two things like i didn't find myself thinking oh my character is a is the bad guy or is a villain necessarily i saw my character sees this as a factory oh yeah i don't mean that you're 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 when i say you're not a good person i mean like you aren't you aren't moral like you aren't a, a mm. creature that perceives the world in those terms like you are doing something which is in your interests and that may involve you know pulping fetuses uh and you know um that's neither here nor there to your character 
But I mean, as a player observing this and enacting it, you may have feelings about it. Oh yeah, it's gross, but it's a horror game. Like I think the I think for me it's like it feels like quite a successful engagement with Geiger for that reason. Oh yeah, for sure. Because it's like this is the you know, it's like it dares you to see flesh as uh, a amoral in the same way that machinery is amoral, right? Mm. And that's and it, you know, and it almost requires you to, because otherwise you would simply stop and quit. <laughs> like, yeah, I would say though that even though that has, um, like you say, the the factory aspect allows you to kind of interpret the these environments in ways which can ring out puzzle like uh, mm. mechanics. Um, there was, there's a, some weird red herrings in there, which I just don't think mm. are necessary because the, the 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 environment is difficult to read in itself. And it, like the um, that's the the initial sliding puzzle you referred to earlier. There's you're trying to get an egg from one side of this this sort of like uh, slidey tile thing to another. You have to choose which egg you want, and there's one which is red and glowing. And if you pick that one, uh, it just bursts. And then you have to pick one, That's which more is otherwise. You know what? It's more inconvenient, but it's also not noticeable in the environment because it looks like all of the other eggs, except when you look at it very closely, some of the things which are otherwise lit uh, as like specular highlights on them could be glowing instead on this one. But like, I would never have picked that one as the, the odd one out, as the one you should select until like the obvious one that you should select was removed. And I just, huh. I, it took me a while to, I don't know if it's just like graphic settings as well, but there was nothing highlighting that egg in, particularly. In my experience of it, and I solved it today, those two, the two you're referring to, um, are both glowing exactly the same way. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe they patched it. Yeah, maybe. Because, yeah, for me, they, it was like, one of them is, one of them is like easier and it tells you this is what to look for. And the other one is the other one. Oh no no the the two those two oh, the two eggs that you can get in in my playthrough of it were different looking, uh, and the second egg which you needed looked like all of the other eggs that that the that you can't even manipulate, um, mm. except that it had these two slight dots on the top which were slightly brighter lit on that one than the others. Yeah, both in my in my they were both had those two yellow lights on them. That was that was the yeah. that was my experience of it. I think I think sometimes it it is like for its polish and it does have moments of like real kind of the environments are incredible i think there are there are some issues with like clarity of feedback or like just sort of not getting interesting results out of negative outcomes Mm. i think would make the world richer something that occurred to me is i think it feels like it almost wants to be a vr game Mm. i don't know if it is available that way in the one of those sort of exploratory VR games heavily about environment art where your puzzles are a kind of way to get you engaged with the environment but aren't themselves the point, you know? I do think that first puzzle is pretty good when you when you get going with it after that side oh, yeah. step. But but like I haven't I haven't made it much further than that and I have tried to fight the urge to run to the next interactable thing, ignoring the environment, because that's not the point, right? Mm. Um, but that temptation does kind of grow in a way that I find the VR is traditionally quite good at shaking out or shaking you out of. Yeah, I think so. The, I, I, that is the, that is the puzzle that kind of most connected with me in the game. Uh, a lot of the other ones don't have quite the same uh, emotional resonance as, as that one does, mm. uh, for better uh, better reasons in some ways. Um, a lot of them you start to become kind of wise to the way in which the the puzzles are presented to you so uh you you basically uh uh you referenced was it infinity factory you mentioned ago yeah yeah it's like nearly all of the puzzles from then are introduced to you by you finding the place where the end result of your infinity factory um conveyor belts uh, would end up and and then walking back along the conveyor belts until you get to the first thing uh, and then right. you um and once you realize that that's the kind of the process that it's sort of you just you get a little bit impatient you're like okay just show me the first thing first motherfucker right <laughs> um so that's so that sort of draws away a little of the fun of some of the later puzzles and some a lot of some of them are just bad they're just bad puzzles in that they are extremely secure in obscure in the sense that they don't have an internal logic 
um, like that first puzzle does. And I, I think you can kind of excuse some of that obscurity successfully um, by saying, look, these these aren't designed puzzles in the world of Scorn. These are bizarre mechanisms of a society that you know has, has built entire palaces out of labia. You know they don't <laughs> they don't really need to make sense as such. Uh, you don't need to have rules, but your job is just to interpret them as you might a nightmare, and then sort of exploit them to your own ends. But then some of them just require you to 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 do things which seem to be against all of the instructions that you've been given so far. Mm. Um, and like there's this one late in the game, I just had to look it up. And I can tell you there's absolutely no way I would have ever guessed that that's what I had to do because um, everything that you've done up until that point has been literally the opposite of that. And to do the thing that you then have to do is something you could have done initially but weren't allowed to do. So the entire process up until that point has been kind of semiotically inert, null. Uh, it just it's it's a bizarre choice. I don't quite know how that got through. <laughs> right. Um, it, it is it is pretty disgusting what you do. So I imagine that's why they kept it in because it was it, it was just the you know the, the act of doing what was the same point. But I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's some bits of it just feel very opaque in like a that fucking sucks way. Um, mm, yeah, I think I think the 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 appeal of it is like I'm engaging with an alien machine the body mm. and i'm making it fart like that's the you know like and do things and be a train or anything else the body might mm. do um and then the reality of it is i don't know what to do next because this is a computer game and i think like i had i was quite pleased to that i have played it as far as i have without looking anything up because i'm normally quite impatient like really i am not after the satisfaction of doing it myself i'm after the next thing you know, I want to see mm. the things. I want to have the experiences. Um, so I wouldn't be above just going through it with a guide just to see it. I probably won't because I'm making decent progress. But um, yeah, there are only a couple of instances uh, where I had to look things up. Some of it, uh, one of the other instance was because something in the environment was just, uh, I knew it was there, but I knew uh, it was going to be very difficult to find just because of the, the nature of the environment was incredibly intricate and maze-like and the thing i was looking for was very small and oh um it was very small and i probably would have spent hours just walking round and round and round and round and round looking for it um even though you know intellectually i had solved what the puzzle required me to do just yeah. it had opened a passageway basically that i knew i was going to know where it was um and that was uh, that just saved me from being very bored uh, uh yeah yeah, the I think other, yeah. Sorry. Well, the other thing, the other boring thing in it is the combat, um, mm. which um, fucking sucks. And you can also, I guess, like the puzzles, say that there's a sort of uh, diegetic intentionality to how much it fucking sucks because <laughs> you're in you're in <laughs> fucking Geiger world. Of course, <laughs> it's going to feel grim and awful and desperate. Um, and some things are good about it, like the guns are, are these very fun designs. They're all made of bones and intestines. And when you sort of reload, you sort of dislocate the, the like the, the frontage of this thing, and you press teeth one by one into this spinal column uh, to load it. Uh, and the whole gun is actually the tail of this parasitic creature that has climbed onto you and partially disemboweled you. Um, but like in a cute twist, uh, like it, once you <laughs> if you refill your ammo. This, this, you look down and this, this thing that's got its hands warming in your entrails just sort of reaches out with its little hand and holds your ammo pouch for you <laughs> in this little <laughs> flesh donut, um, which is cute. Uh, you don't have the best of relationships with it, but uh, you know it's, uh, it's a complicated. But the, um, the combat itself is just, it's just so sludgy and uh, ammunition is uh, so ineffective and also sparse that it makes you conservative in a way which I found was boring and methodical enough to distance me from the actual atmosphere of the game. Mm. Um, you can often just wait for enemies to fuck off. They crawl back into the environment. The enemies are, are kind of uh, terrible to fight, but they're kind of cool designs. Like They have this interesting life cycle between the different kinds of creatures that you can witness in the environment. Um, and the you know, like the main one you fight is a big dog made out of foreskin. So you know what's what's not to like. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, fighting them is very frustrating. They don't have a particularly interesting manner of attacking you and shooting them to death is just a uh, bullet spongy um, uh, and and, and uh, just slows you down in the interaction that you want to make in those environments. And sometimes those things are in direct contravention. Like sometimes you can be doing a puzzle and a bunch of enemies just turn up and they can't kill you while you're doing the puzzle. But as soon as you disengage doing the puzzle, then they all hit you at the same time and murder you, uh, which is which is rubbish. Um, and death can set you back a long way too. Like many, many steps of an elaborate time-consuming puzzle you are midway through executing, for example. That is yeah. what I call a bad choice. Mm. Um, but yeah. But overall, like, oh, okay. Like I was buoyed along by the whole horrible vision and purpose of the game that the irritation of actually playing it was uh, somewhat mitigated i thought six out of ten <laughs> classic mm. i don't know i'm really interested to see what you think about uh the rest of the game as it progresses because there's uh it i mean it is all very geiger but it's it, it does get into kind of uh celestial horror stuff which is uh much more your bag uh mm. as a oh. lovecraft fan as well towards the yeah. end I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I just think I, I appreciate both. I enjoy a flashy bag and the space bag, the two bags. <laughs> um, as as uh, as as most cosmic horror does, you know, goes from squelchy to uh, celestial, uh, as we all must. Mm-hmm. I think that's NASA's slogan. As um, uh, Oscar Wilde said, we all yeah. uh, live in the gutter, but some of us look to the stars. I don't think that's what he was referencing, but that's pretty much mauled to death by a dog made of foreskins. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Um, well, speaking of being, I, there's a good segue here to being from being mauled to death by a dog made of foreskins uh, to being mauled to death by a dog made of foreskins. If you'd like yeah. to undertake it with me, um, let's go. I, uh, for a chunk of the weekend, played uh, the uh, beta test of Warhammer Forty Thousand Dark Tide. Uh, fat sharks, uh, long-awaited or much-anticipated um, Vermintide, but 40k game. Um, and I'm jealous. I really great. wanted to get into that. Yeah, actually, um, a, a, a friend friend of Pod, Paul Canavan, alerted me that you could just like click a button on Steam to attempt to get a key, and I did. And it was great. Um, I uh, so I'm going to caveat this um, by saying, like, I have played all of both Vermintide games once, but I did not play them to death, which is, I think, because there's like two sides of that. Like those games I thought were great, very fun, Warhammer Fantasy themed, you know, um, more advanced Left for Dead alikes. I don't know what exactly the genre is, right? Like A to B zombie sprinters. What, if, what the fuck is that genre? <laughs> Left for Dead. Left for yeah. Dead. That game. Um but obviously with sort of deeper character customization and loot and, and RPG style mechanics and things. I understand uh, that uh, people who are really into Vermintide particularly put thousands and thousands of hours and treated it more like a service game, like a kind of, you know, an MMO or something like that. Uh, that's not my experience of it. And so I'll say I'll spring two things out of that. One, I am I was surprised that um dark tide is way more of an mmo than i thought it was which is interesting mm. um in terms of several decisions that they made uh the other is i so i'll kind of skip to the end in the sense that um i had a good time at first i played a little bit more of it i was excited by it and then as soon as i realized i had to go out so i played it for the last time and i knew that the beta would be over before i got home and I just had that kind of like i just pre-ordered it then and there i'm now really excited by it and actually as somebody who hasn't really like clicked with a new game for a while um let alone wanted to invite a big time sinky sort of thing into my life um it's rare that i'm like yeah i'm pre-ordering this now like i'm i, I you know can't wait to play this again so that's a big big positive and then sort of a bit kind of like um buoyed by uh enthusiasm for it i thought you know i must check what people are saying because like the the you know, it feels like a bit of a surprise. I wasn't, I'm not surprised that it's good, but I was like taken with like, I really like this and I will speak to why. Um, I went on like the Reddit and obviously that's always a bad idea, but the Reddit is, as far as I could tell, wholly made up of people who've played like 5,000 hours of Vermintide and then played 30, 40 hours of this in two days. 
saying it's garbage. So I don't know how true that is. A lot of it was pointing to like, you know, sort of power player, like quality of life features that seem to be missing. Uh, I saw a lot of fairly egregiously wrong takes about how accurate to a final game beta tests tend to be. Um, obviously, these builds will have been branched a while ago, so you don't really know. Um, but I did want to caveat it in that way, where it's like, I don't feel like I can give the definitive opinion as a Vermintide fan, and the Vermintide fans that I saw seemed all to be furious um, hmm. for some reason. But I had a great time with it. Um, and uh, there's lots of things I'd kind of like to, to kind of approach it from. But the first is, um, it is it does feel more like, when I say more like an MMO, I mean in terms of like, foregrounding progression and this game as something that you'll kind of invest time in than at least for me the the vermintide games did walking it a few steps further along from vermintide or left for dead towards really fantasy star or guild original guild wars that kind of like mission run based game with a centralized hub where you return to level up your character basically the other thing that i didn't realize they were doing um, because again, maybe it's just that I'm not consuming tons of games media, but I genuinely didn't know this, is that um, it doesn't star, it, instead of like fixed characters, it has classes. So um, there's actual character creation and stuff. And so the premise of the game, uh, obviously it's set in, in, Warhammer, in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, and the premise of the game is that your characters are sort of... Uh, they could refer to the kind of like marketing word for it is rejects, but they're basically people who've been incarcerated by the Imperium on a big prison ship and are now being carted to the surface of a cartel, oh, sorry, not cartel, cult, um, cult uprising on a hive world, like a big industrial hive world, um, to do shitty jobs that the Imperium wouldn't otherwise get around to doing, basically. So you're a bunch of gangly, awful shits from the bottom of either Imperial Society or the Astra Militarum or the Imperial Guard, regular kind of humans or Ogrins, which are the kind of space ogres, um, kind of just doing your thing. And when you create your character, it's quite involved. There are four classes initially, which are basically um, the sort of sharpshooters, like a kind of... Uh, Astra Militarum soldier on the Lasgun, uh, a sort of half-sanctioned slash unsanctioned psyker, which I'll speak to a little bit, um, a zealot, like a kind of, you know, um, devotee of the god emperors where we've gone a bit too far, and the Ogryn brute, who is a, a big boy who can push. Um, and, but yeah, you make a character, and all of them except the Ogryn can be male or female, and there's character customization where you can make just the ugliest people, um, but very, very in a very quite guided way, I think. My only complaint is that the tattoos aren't very good, um, in that they don't feel very much like Warhammer. One of them's just like a lion. You're like, where the fuck did you see a lion? Like, um, anyway, sorry, I need a sip of water so I can gush even more. Um, and, um, and so you um, make a character, and then there's like quite a kind of uh, or like elaborate personality sort of test or like background construction system. Like what did you do in your childhood? What did you do? What was the, you know, how did you end up in the situation you're in now? What was, what was your crime? And that affects what color prison garb you're wearing at the start. Ah. Um, and it uses, and having done all of this, it lets you pick from a kind of little range of personalities. And that's what determines your voice. Because obviously in Vermintide, they had lots of really characterful voice acting, but they were also fixed characters who talked to each other. A bit like Left 4 Dead, where the characters would have dialogue with each other. And this is like the probably the most superficial system to get excited about first. But they've done a really nice job. And I can see how they've done it, because it's sort of, you know, these things, are, it's just big spreadsheets full of lines. But at the top, when, when it's time for the characters to speak to one another, um it will pick, it will sort of construct a conversation out of the recorded lines based on the personalities of the people in the party at the time. And so um, 
you know, there's a famous 40k planet called Cadia that blew up in the miniature setting a few years ago, and that is reflected in the backstory of the game. And a character might say, like, this one's for Cadia, and someone else might just respond to them. And there's something quite fun about feeling characters that you feel like you made interact with each other in that way, and it does bring the world to life in quite a nice way. It's not the deepest system in the world, but I genuinely quite liked it. I thought it was good. Also, I had a really uncanny thing of, like, self, quite self-indulgently, I named my first character after a character I wrote in the story for Black Library, because I write for Black Library now, and um, that story is out. And then I realized that the guy, the guy who briefs you in the game has exactly the same name, because oh. when he started showing up in the subtitles, it was the same name. And, and the story, I think, was written by um, Dan Abnett, who's a very prolific Black Library author and a very good one. And so it was kind of weird, this sort of like confluence of like, Two men who have named Warhammer people name Warhammer people <laughs> the same name, and then so sort of asynchronously staring at Dan Abner over the Gulf of obviously you know extremely extremely uh, differently weighted contributions to that setting, um, but nonetheless, and um, um, so that that was something I really liked how it kind of immersed me in it, and then you're kind of in this in the in the you you're in the big hub ship and it looks great big gothic fuck off map and you can go visit the navigator and stuff like that um and then otherwise you were doing missions and the missions are as you would expect sort of the same the the familiar sort of explore clear enemies find ammo um, perform objectives that often require you to move something heavy or wait for a lift and fight off hordes of uh cultists special characters dogs that pin you down explodey pox men uh people with toxic flamethrowers like all of all of the hits in some ways and that stuff's quite familiar um is it all nurgle all the time it's not it's um it's a mixture of nurgle and sort of regular chaos cultists it's interesting that the sort of the pox walkers which are basically nurgle zombies are more or less the same as the regular chaos cultists because like one of them is like you know shabby plague men who will run at you and swipe at you the other is just sort of like an assortment of industrial workers who wear the wrong hat and now are trying to kill you with a pipe and it's sort of the same experience but they but there are there's also um traitor guard so like you know chaos corrupted astro militarum soldiers and they are very different to fight because they're a ranged threat fundamentally and crucially it changes what they'll be doing so if you enter an environment that has loads of them in it they'll just be on patrol or guarding things or walking around fairly intelligently and then you bust in and start shooting people um where it shines for me and where i'm genuinely quite impressed by it is well the other super i'll say one more superficial thing and then i'll say a, a thing of meaning and then i'll say another superficial thing um it looks great um environments look really lovely um the visual effects are great the audio is great um the like they've done a very good job of bringing the kind of weapons of 40k to life in a way that they've you know um 40k has such absurd escalation in the power of its guns that it's you know things like las guns are supposed to be powerful but in the you know they they only ever simulate them as you know kind of quite piddly and in this they feel great and that's really cool um, it feels way more tactile and satisfying than the most recent Necromunda game did with a lot of the same pieces, I will say. Mm. Um, but here's the thing I wanted to really dig into. I think they have come up with a really cool, um, pretty satisfying set of both fundamental um, combat mechanics and abilities to layer on top of that. And I still trust them with this after Vermintide, um, but Vermintide's primarily a melee game. It's one of the reasons it worked quite well. And it's really interesting to run, return to a ranged combat style Left 4 Dead game, which obviously Left 4 Dead is as well, right? Um, in a way that feels really fresh. And the reasons for this are kind of quite straightforward in a way. One is like the melee system is good. Like the, the kind of combination of light attacks, heavy attacks, blocks, pushes, follow-ups and so on. Like it's deep enough that you can achieve things with skill and it's not so deep that it's bewildering and as i say the the range combat uh feels really good and things like grenades are well implemented and the pacing of it feels really good what i really like about it is there's some pretty good fairly gamey like 
um, sandbox design, like combat sandbox design in terms of encouraging interesting problem solving. So if you, um, and I think this will hopefully tickle the FPS, you know, designer slash enthusiast in you, Marsh. Like there's a, so basic mechanic, if you, if a enemy is shooting at you, you can become pinned down. And if you're pinned down, you can't shoot for shit, but it's quite clear from a visual effect. Oh, and, okay. and ranged, ranged damage does quite a lot of damage to you. So getting shot at is bad. Taking cover is good, right? Those sorts of things are kind of, it feels a bit like Gears of War in that way, right? Like mm. you you want to think about how to take, take cover, particularly if you're being, your position's being pushed by a mixture of ranged and, and melee enemies. However, you have like um, dodge, sprint, and slide. While you're sprinting, you're much less likely to be pinned down um or hit like there's definitely like a modifier that's applied to it and above and beyond simply the fact that you're moving faster which means that sprinting between cover is like a viable thing that gets you closer to your enemy and then there's a hard and fast rule which is that if you close with an enemy and you know whip out your melee weapon which in, in like for the for the marksman class it's like a spade like whatever the fuck you've got on you at the time a spade yeah spades are quite feel big. very spacey there's quite a spades are quite a big thing for 40k for some reason um okay uh, for certain parts of the astromilitarium anyway um if you do this the enemy will also pull out a melee weapon um to defend themselves and so that means that closing with the enemy shuts down their ability to pin down your other teammates which is a really cool bit of like um it's both a really cool bit of co-op design because it's like if someone's a bit you know, in a bit of a shit situation, going in for melee is a good way to bail them out, right? It's a viable strategy and it helps kind of maintain that like um, sort of rock, paper, scissors between approaches. Kind of gives you a, a way to close the, with the enemy and sort of bail your friends out. The other side of it that I, I really like is it really feels like a miniatures game in those moments because uh-huh. things like, and I'm thinking specifically of things like Kill Team, where like, which is the sort of smaller scale kind of miniatures combat, uh, skirmish combat, where like, you know, concepts that are really familiar to war gamers, like tying an enemy up in melee so they can't shoot is like, like Warhammer 101 in right. some ways. And so having that represented in the game is both like, I think, good co-op design um, in, in, in that it kind of rewards players for both approaches. And also just feels like Warhammer, which is such a cool win mm-hmm. for them. And then there's other things like... Um, you have can I just, sorry, yeah can go I for just it. ask is, is that symmetric so like can you also suppress the enemy with fire i believe so but they die quite quick so if you're actually oh, right. if you're shooting accurately you're probably killing them oh i see okay so that is the other way of suppressing them <laughs> <laughs> like you know it's more like it's like you're quite lethal and you you do tear through hordes of enemies so it's more like you don't really suppress them it's just like if you are suppressed your lethality drops and you need to fix it basically huh, yeah um sorry carry on no 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 good question like it was, you know it's, it's, it's sort of because i had to think about it as well like could you suppress them and it's like i don't think i think every time i've tried to suppress them i've just shot them in the head <laughs> <laughs> um and so um so that's really cool and then there's other sort of decisions so you have a health bar that doesn't regenerate and that means you have to go find med picks med, med packs or medicaid stations or whatever to kind of repair it but you do have like a basically a shield bar i can't remember what it's i think it's called stamina no no, it's not stamina that's for sprinting it's got like like it's toughness i think it's like a resilience bar on top of your health bar um that you regenerate by either being near your teammates or um killing things in melee so um that's the other reason to switch to melee is like particularly if you're being hoarded by chaff you can actually kind of keep your health topped up by sort of dispatching hordes of them with your spade or whatever wow, that's that's such a kind of big and not terribly subtle way of chaperoning the players into good cooperative play which also conserves your ammunition as a group yeah <laughs> so, right it's not subtle it's not subtle no, but, it but i, think, is I like, think i'd yeah. appreciate it <laughs> yeah because it then feels good to cooperate right like mm. it feels good to kind of be in that position um and uh yeah, I think it's, it's really cool. And then, like, the um, abilities are 
uh, that I've played with, at least, and I've only played two of the classes or only had a chance to play two of the classes in the beta, I think um, it's it's quite fun to kind of explore um, what they kind of like, what they mean for that kind of co-op pattern. Like, um, as the sharpshooter character has the las gun, I found myself mostly trying to hold back and like because you you have slightly better ranged weapon your weapon has greater range and power generally than the default range weapons you can when you complete missions you get loot and that loot includes new and better versions of the same guns with different stats and things like that and then i think over time different guns like for each class like and the, certainly the trailers and stuff show them using very different weapons from the setting i think in the mm -hmm. beta it was kind of limited um but basically you're the character with the you know the, the best ranged weapon so you're kind of holding back and trying to like thin crowds before they can get to your friends and so on um but their kind of main ability is like this sort of sharpshooter mode where you gain extra damage i think and also special enemies so like um sort of elite characters and so on are highlighted for you in crowds so you can pick them off and i think the reason it, um one of the things they've done really successfully is that um those key abilities don't feel like ultimates. They're quite a short cooldown. So it's sort of in addition to the basic mechanics of like shoot a bit, melee a bit, try and not to get pinned, try not to take any damage so you don't have to heal. You're threading in these kind of class specific abilities that give you a, a bit of a clearer role. And I really liked that. I think it feels good. But I didn't really like have the kind of like, oh shit, I love this until I played as the Psyker. Um, Psykers being psychics of the... 40k universe and um fairly self-destructive and prone to uh getting in trouble um and at least as far as i played it in the in the beta that the the psychic powers don't feel like spells and i really appreciate that they did that like there's there's a mechanic by which they can potentially like effectively overheat or incur something called perils of the warp um which um feels quite similar to the to the bright wizard the fire mage from vermintide potentially but you don't feel like a wizard because you're not casting spells in that way the way the the psychic stuff works is if you concentrate very very hard on one enemy you will make its head explode that's oh, wow. what you will okay. do um but you have to kind of like channel it and the more you channel it and and if you try and channel it in advance you're just building up this surge of perils of the warp and the more the bar increases your kind of screen closes in and there'll be like tentacle kind of effects at the periphery of your vision as, as you know, you kind of run the risk of sort of slipping into the immaterium and getting chaosified. And so, um, and then your cooldown ability is like a kind of force push kind of shockwave that pushes enemies back and completely drains your perils of the warp bar. So you're kind of like, you also have a gun and a knife, but like you're kind of building it up and then letting it go, and then building it up, and then letting it go, and trying to time if you things. Max out. I mean, presuming um, you don't literally uh, you, get overtaken by. A you chaos know, I didn't God. do it. You, I think yeah. you. I think you just take a ton of damage. You may even just be downed. Um, right. I didn't actually see. I, th I think it's. I think it's self damage based on um, what I think I saw happen to another player hmm. actually. Um, but the big limitation of it is, it's pretty powerful, but um you you can only channel it on one being at a time and at least in the beta there's no like upgrading it to affect multiple characters but where it becomes really powerful is anyone who's in the process of having like a weaselly little psyker concentrate on them really hard starts to like stagger and slow down which will like pull them out of a group or whatever and then if you channel it enough the head explodes uh, it doesn't work on like bosses like the big boss characters necessarily but it does work on pretty much everything else and like there's like a genuine like satisfaction in like being charged by a big horde and there's like loads of chaff running at you and everyone's kind of hacking or shooting their way through the chaff and you can see the big fuck off cultist guy with a chain axe running at you from the back and you just start concentrating on him and then by the time he gets close enough to hurt anybody his head blows up and it feels fucking great that's really <laughs> like, cool um yeah. or like um got very excited because there were these like chaos hounds like corrupted dogs basically bring us back to the full circle that leap on people and pin them down and i managed to kind of snare one just as it was about to leap on a friend <clears throat> and just blow up its head and i think i yelled yes i am the dog popper just <laughs> <laughs> and i uh, I, was, I, was, I was it was having a great time um 
See, I really take them with it. I think the, I don't know, like, I can, it's got a lot of, like, post-mission currencies and loot that I didn't really get get to kick the tires of in the beta, and I don't know how tiresome that could potentially become. Like, I don't know if it's a game I'm necessarily playing to get, like, a slightly better las gun with a shorter stock, you know? Um, so that's a bit of a, you know, question mark. And, and I, I do get the impression that a lot of the complaints from really hardcore Vermintide players was about features that they expect as people who use this for whom this game is about build crafting and perfection and scores and you know really acing it but i had a really good time with with just the amount that was there the final thing i wanted to say to return to something well it's not superficial it's really important is the soundtrack is far better than it has any fucking right to be holy shit like when it kicks off you're in like you go from being in like i'm in a big voluminous echoey you know cathedral factory warhammer goth place to being like i'm in a big voluminous cathedral gothy goth club basically like it's somewhere between like sort of dark wave goth castlevania metal and it fucking slaps genuinely i would i looked on steam to see if they sold a special edition like with the ost and i never do that or care Oh, well, I've done, weirdly, I've done that with other Warhammer properties. Mm. Uh, the the um, Mechanicus game. Yeah, you know, right. Absolute fucking bombing soundtrack. I loved it. Uh, I often listen to it. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I did love the, mechanic, I did love the Mechanicum soundtrack. But I yeah, apparently. Does, so do you, I wonder who does the uh, the soundtrack for Dark I think Fight. it's Jesper Kidd. Oh, oh, big name, eh? Yeah. Um, but he, he's fucking done and done it. He has, like... It's like when it kicked in during a boss fight, like I genuinely had the like, why, why is this going so hard? <laughs> Holy shit. It was genuinely very exciting. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. To, like, it may, I really hope it's a success and I suspect it will be given the hype. Um, partly because I would just love to see it expand out to more of that universe. You know, it feels like a very, very fertile, grotesque, sticky little, little bed of oily, rivety, industrial, gothic horror to grow some grow some more factions from maybe you know oh yeah mm. Mm, that would be great but yeah no i mean it's it's, it's lovely to see it kind of because is great obviously but like um to see them continue their tear basically good for fat shark oh i'm excited yeah so do, do you, i mean i know you haven't played with that huge amount but do you get the sense that the other characters you can play have the same sort of uh delightful eccentricity as as playing the psyker um i i think well i think i like the psyker partly because of the head popping and partly because i just fucking love one of the voice actors um whose direction for this was you're the only man having a nice time in the 41st millennium because <laughs> <laughs> he just sort of was like hello ah it's dark in here isn't it oh shit and then like it's sort of everyone else is sort of very grim good accents actually i will say as well like the, I think if you're from Cadia, you are also canonically from Birmingham. Um, <laughs> really? But Birmingham is also a planet in Warhammer oh, Forty Thousand. Tom will be pleased. So, um, well, Birmingham. Well, hang on, Birmingham is a planet in Forty K. Yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of a lot of world building was done in the nineties. <laughs> does it have a, a uh, impressive ring road? It does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, <laughs> but. Um, uh, good accents but yeah i think um i didn't play the other two so i can't judge them but like i did enjoy the two i played and like i would happily go back and play the lasgun person again it wasn't that i was like all in a psycho i think i could imagine myself matching them to missions and stuff as well hmm. um i think the i, I the I think the the zealot is the best in melee is their thing and they have some ways to power that up and they can have like thunder hammers and stuff which sounds fun and then the ogren can is much bigger than everyone else and can like shoulder barge enemies out of the way. And like, I think any task that involves carrying something like a big cooling rod mm. or a box, they're better at. So there's some oh, sort of yeah. like, you know, balancing things there, but I didn't play them. So I can't comment on them. I just like the, uh, the dog popper. Oh gosh. Do you know, um, how long the beat is running for? Can I still get into it? Or should oh, I just over. wait for it? It's, it's over. It, okay. it, it was the, it was over the, only just over the last weekend. Um, <laughs> So and the the actual game is out in November, right? End of November, yeah. Well, well, well. A little winter treat. Mm. 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 Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it very much. Um, 
and I'm very excited to see what the final game's like. So yeah, it's actually it's genuinely really nice to just be like now kind of like oh, quite pumped for that to come out now and got it on pre-order and yeah. Oh sweet! Oh lovely. Yeah, I look forward to that. Good stuff. Good dog popping. Good all round. Yeah. Well, actually, exactly. pretty bad. Bad dog popping in scorn, but you know. Mm. Those dogs notably unpopped. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means, and we should stop. <laughs> um, before I go any deeper into my notes, um, is that all of the? Is that all of the goopy, sticky, you know, sort of slightly rectal environments we have to <laughs> talk about this evening? Um, I would I would like to give one last uh, credit to um, Scorn. There's a there's mm. a point in the game where um, uh, you are wrong footed and you end up uh, being uh, encased in gunk, uh, mm. and uh, when you break out of the gunk, um, it's it's a really good good animation. It looks like you're sort of like you've been encased in brandy snaps, except that it's not brandy, Chris. It's spunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the way it kind of snaps off you looks really good nice so yeah oh, maybe wow. it's a 7 out of 10 after all yeah well I mean I think you could do one of those classic like IGM pluses and minus boxes right like didn't like, <laughs> didn't like the gun play great dry spunk though <laughs> I'm sorry listeners I'm sorry we missed a week and now we're back and it's just this but blame, oh, I've been blame in, games you know, I've the, the reason we I mean, missed a week because I was uh, em- embracing my own body horror, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a, with a, a bout of very severe illness. Oh um, dear! Well, you're, so. you 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 sound much better, so I'm glad I'm glad that that's the case, and I'm glad that you managed to spend this time just uh, enjoying the the squelchy fartiness of of a different dimension. Indeed, right? <laughs> <laughs> the dimension inside the computer they call games. Um, <laughs> Good. I, I need to stop talking. It's been a day of it. And um, if, it, if it's allowed to continue, it's only going to get worse. So um, that's all we have time for this week. If you, uh, what do we normally say? If you'd like to find more podcasts like this one, you can find us at com. You can find this episode and others like it on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar. Thank you very much as ever to everyone who backs us on Patreon. Uh, more information about uh, contributing to the pod, uh, and thank you to everybody that does, can be found at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. Otherwise, I've been Chris Thurston. I've been Marsh Davis. Thanks for listening, everybody.